Outpost Media and Blue Ion, this is Way Out There. Conversations and stories about the relationship between people and the outdoors. We interview outdoor leaders, teachers, guides, and everyday individuals who have answered a call to step into the vast beauty out there. By hearing their stories, we hope you'll be inspired to go way out there yourself. Bend is an innovative community redevelopment project led by owner and Charleston native Susan Perlstein. Susan and Chad are working to revitalize not just the Bend's 20 acres and its neighborhood, but also to forge a new path for how smart design and community redevelopment gets done. All right, Chad, welcome to Way Out There and thanks for being our first victim. Uh, hopefully we'll get most of it right. Let's start today hearing in your words what it is you do as site director out at the Bend and what the Bend is all about. Yeah, that's... You know, I know it's a big question. Taken over a year, and I'm still kind of working on that answer, so it's fun to talk about. Um, you know, as site director, I definitely wear uh, many hats uh, with the project. Um, anything from sort of advocating for what we're going for overall as a project to inviting people to share... Uh, the site itself and explore in lots of different ways um, to actually caring for the physical site itself, which was my kind of original attraction to the project overall. That's a wide scope of So stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's everything from, um, you know, general maintenance uh, and landscaping on site itself, trying to get uh, a rehabilitation that's uh, going to be a multi-year approach to this uh, project, um, all the way up to really trying to sell the the vision and the dream that um, that Susan Perlstein, the owner, has really uh, instilled in the project from the very beginning. It's a definitely a different kind of community redevelopment project sure. than most people have probably ever seen or have even heard or thought of. Sure. So um, it's a beautiful piece of property along the Ashley River in North Charleston, right on the border of North Charleston and Charleston. Yeah. Um, it had has a long history of various uses. Mm -hmm. And um, what do y'all see it being in the years ahead? What is that vision and dream? Yeah, and uh, you know, I think just like any sort of new startup project or dream or vision, um, sometimes it's easier to even start with what you don't see happening there, what you don't want to see happen there. So, you know, it, it began as, as a project of, of reimagining uh, an alternate alternative use uh, for a, a piece of property. And um, and like you said, you know, this property has had a huge history going back through uh, residential farming, uh, a quarterhouse that was on a rail line at, at one point further back. Wow. Um, so lots of uses over the years, just like probably any other property in uh, in Charleston. Around here. And like it's sort of fascinating to say like how do you honor all those all that past and all those different uses as you figure out what this place may look like going forward. Right. In and all of that within the context of an exploding community, um, in a lot of good ways and a lot of bad ways, a lot of opportunity for the larger community and a lot of threats to the larger community as we grow. And you know, I think this is something that um, that any community in town or, or, or growing city experiences. But uh, you know, the real pearl of of Susan's uh, project is to say we can be better than sort of what what we're seeing around us. We don't have to 
follow the same blueprint uh, in development or redevelopment as you've seen everywhere in in other places. Yeah. Not to say that those are wrong or that everybody should do something different, but variety is is really what makes a community whole and yeah. and really brings uh, you know spice and and interest into a. Uh, community. So today, if you go out to the bend, you see this insanely beautiful natural setting. You know, it's again, right. it's there on the Ashley River. Uh, you can see, you know, um, neighborhoods, you can see cities in the distance. Uh, there's trees, there's grass, there's birds, there's, you know, other forms of wildlife. So it seemed like the first stage was getting it back to a healthy natural so to speak state yeah um, yeah within the urban context of all, the, of I, all I think those it's connections really cool and, and important to remember that that likely is not what that property looked like 500 years ago or, or yeah. something like that interesting um so you're you're talking about a, a property that was pristine hundreds of years ago uh transformed for this purpose transformed for the next purpose transformed for the next purpose until it was completely paved over and built upon and we've sort of stripped that chapter of the of the story back and and kind of are left with a blank slate um, but certainly not you know virgin forest or or right. pristine wilderness what i've sort of evolved in in my language to to say is is not there's a building over here and we imagine a you know a retail space up here and this many square footage or anything like that um, except much, really to say much more accurately, we envision a place that all of those things can, can live together. Yeah, that's And nice. um, yes, that's a little pie in the sky with our traditional thinking. Um, but you look around and there are many, many examples uh, nationwide and worldwide of people that are doing that, first of all. Um, and also just, just to say, uh, you know, successful business ventures, successful commerce, uh, successful and healthy communities, not only don't need to be mutually exclusive from one another, but I think they thrive and are at their strongest when they're met because yeah. one yeah. really can feed the other and strengthen the other. Yeah. Very nice. um, but you really have to commit to that. You know, I think we live in a capitalist society and, and everything ultimately in a lot of people's minds comes down to the bottom line the profit profitability of a project on paper, um, but if you step two steps back from that and really open up your scope, um, there's a lot of benefit and profitability that can be found in not as tangible or measurable ways. But you just know it's there and you feel when it's right. Nice. You know? So, so, um, so the last thing about the bend, maybe, and I just wanted to go back to like the different things you do out there. I find it's kind of fascinating that. You have a background in uh, biology and environmental sciences and uh, guiding tours and education programs and all that. Uh, you're, you're a naturalist, a trained, certified naturalist and all that. That's not the usual uh, um, experience and maybe profile of the person who would be a, um, a project manager or you know a site director for, for something like this. Right. Um, but I also feel like that's probably on purpose. Uh, it, but does yeah. that strike you as being funny, interesting, or just unique to the way that the band views what it's trying to accomplish? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I felt like I was perfectly placed for that. Yeah. Um, could have been false confidence, but I still, you know, feel it today and, uh, kind of going back to that alternative vision. Sometimes you need 
to take a break from, again, the status quo of who you naturally would sort of peg to, to be right. involved with a project like this, who may come in with their own uh, sort of preset idea yeah. of what this needs to be and how to get it to where it needs to, to go be. into autopilot mode. That's right. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, I feel uh, sort of like I was prepared to step into a role like this. There's been a lot of the job that I've had to kind of learn and take on as it's come, um, which is not different from any other yeah. job you've probably ever, ever had. So but, what's the uh, weird kind of stuff that could get stacked in your day as you uh, evaluate the things that you, or as you work through the, the, the tasks and the project at hand, you must cut from something that is site related, something that's conservation related, something that's sure. uh, an event and a party going on, yeah, having I, to clean up after all that craziness the next day. Does all that yeah. happen in the course of a given day? Yeah, that's like a Tuesday. So <laughs> the, uh, by far the two biggest things that I've really, it's not even an adjustment, but just a learning curve and has become a very interesting uh, piece of, of the puzzle is uh, learning about, so this is a property and a real estate project in itself, even though it's different and it feels different right. and looks different, we've never really made any uh, different, um, we've never we've never, we've never described it, uh, in a different way than what it is, yeah. which is, this is a, a property development or redevelopment and a real estate project. It just has a different feel. And, and that's a field that I've never worked in, in my life. I've done site management and been in and around very, very good examples of natural resource management and public lands and, and things like that. So I was able to cut my teeth and really observe uh, good, well-trained people doing the right thing, um, but applying that uh, to a different model and learning how to talk about that, yeah. uh, the real estate side of things and, and where the value is and things like that. So That's cool. Crossing people in the private sector uh, who do exclusively look at this as a real estate venture um, and a, a, a property, not a place, right. and how the value right. sort of differs between those two things has been a hard thing um, or a challenging thing. But an exciting thing, too. I, mean, Very I, I hope the reality becomes is that you become much more of that common character in these in these projects and these types of teams that get put together. Yeah. And, you know, the more you know about that type of stuff, the sharper your blade gets yeah. yeah. to be able to accurately either argue against it or find your little niche within it. Um, and that's very important if you want to represent the project the right way and, and that type of thing. So as I mentioned, uh, we were out there birding this morning, like you are uh, on Tuesday mornings. And um, that's a major component at the bend, but it's also been, it seems like a major component in, 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 um, in your life and an in interest. Sure. And so where, you know, I know I've enjoyed going out and walking that site with you and it never ceases to amaze me the things that you know, and uh, even though you're the first to say that you don't know, like you can never be certain what you're seeing is sure. what you think it is, sure. and you got to double check and cross-reference and triple check. But um, it's obviously been something that you're, you're passionate about. Where did that love and interest for birding come from? Yeah. And how did you get started? I, you know, I identified my first hummingbird at age two, and uh, I'm just kidding. That's, <laughs> that's not true. Um, I, uh, I had a grandmother in uh, urban downtown Atlanta. She's actually in Decatur, but, um, you know, their, uh, their property was, was very well maintained as a natural habitat. And, huh. 
we may touch on this later, but that really is what started my entire interest and career path and ultimately led me uh, to the bend was, was watching how these people that I cared about and respected so much uh, treated and, and respected their land as not just theirs, but as the communities and belonging to everything that was living there before them and, and now nice. after them. And know. to be stewards of that. That's and exactly to, right. Yeah. But uh, we would sit at her uh, breakfast nook window and she had feeders and bird baths out front and she would just pick off every single bird, identify every single one, tell us little stories about them and that type of stuff. And as with any kid, uh, that all sponges in and lives in your mind somewhere and then you go off and do your thing and take all these different paths and my love of the outdoors became much more about you know flying down the side of a mountain or a river or or climbing up the same side of that mountain Uh, and then your body slows and you get hurt and banged up and stuff like that and you start returning to the more passive enjoyment of that stuff which really simplifies into walking through the woods and and slowing things down and that was a key thing i remember the first time i think i went out with you at the bend uh, um birding it was just the changing the pace of, of your gait you know it's totally. like if i would step out into a place like that and start hustling around it totally. and it's like no walk about half that speed if yeah. not you yeah. know even less and yeah. start to really look around and listen and it's and we it's, don't do that very often in life. i was gonna say it's it's a shame that you have to sort of retrain yourself to do that when uh, for thousands of years, all of our relatives before us had to do that to survive. Yeah. You know, you yeah. had to slow down and, and be aware of everything that was going on around you. That's a, a survival mechanism yeah. with most animals. What do you find most um, rewarding about birding personally? And then what do you think is like, what, what's most challenging to you in a good way about birding? Like, it's hard. It seems to me it's, diff- it's a difficult yeah. thing to ever master. Maybe it's one of those things that you never do truly master. And I think that's, that's part of the draw. I think you could have one answer for both sides of that question, which is the sort of addiction, the challenge and the reward is that, uh, the search for, for identification, for labeling, for, uh, being able to sort of challenge yourself to take a two second look at something tiny that's flying by and be able to you know, access your data points that you've stored up over all these times and say, this is likely, I think that's built in again yeah. to all of us as animals, right. uh, the ability to identify and, and categorize things. And, um, and that's really, I think the, the true, uh, beauty of that pastime is that a it's passive. Mm-hmm. Um, just about anybody can do it. I've seen people with eyesight problems, who are amazing birders by ear. Right. I've seen people with hearing problems that are amazing birders by eyesight alone, you know, cool. and the ability that anybody can access it. It's, uh, the one wildlife that's present in everywhere we go, you know, yeah. downtown Charleston. It's the most accessible form of wildlife out yep. there, right? You can look at yeah. the osprey while that's nesting in the light, pole at the Joe while a minor league baseball game is going on that flies over the baseball field or whatever. And, uh, and then once you appreciate it, just like anything else, you start learning more and more little minute details about the way these creatures move through the world. And it's fascinating. And that's a cool point because I've heard someone describe it once and maybe it was you. It's just sort of, 
amazing that here you might be living your life in one part of the world and these birds or at least many of them are passing through Absolutely. on epic journeys to like yeah. crazy different parts of the world from the yeah. the uh the arctic all the way down to south america and back and exactly. so you're seeing them in this window of time on the middle of just an unbelievable journey right i think one of the stats that i learned along the way was that uh, a specific migratory shorebird called the red knot um, that is is threatened like many of the the shorebirds that live up and down and pass through the coast of South Carolina by the time that bird is three or having done three years of migration it could have flown to the moon wow in in mileage you know and it's this tiny little six inch Bird and where are they? Where would their migra- migration take them from and to? Uh, South America, all the way up to inside. I think the Arctic Circle and oh, the right northern on. reaches of, of yeah. Canada. You know, so they stop here. Uh, you'll see flocks on the south end of, of Kiwa Island fly in in groups of ten and twenty thousand at wow. a time. And uh, this might be a sidebar, but they're. Their migration has evolved over thousands and thousands of years to match up with horseshoe crab spawning. So the horseshoe crabs come up and lay tens of thousands of eggs in the flats and tidal flats and mud, mud and sand flats of these barrier islands. And as the red knots are coming up, that's a food supply. And they just timed it just right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and of course, with a lot of uh, threats, man-made and climate-made and things like that, little variations in that year to year can really affect a population. For if, sure. If the water's a little bit warmer and the horseshoe crabs come up earlier, the flock is, you know, traveling faster than it normally would, that can throw all those, all those little whack. things away. So if um if someone's listening and is interested in birding or and getting started, what what do you need to do to at the bare basics to get going and to you know the the pastime as a whole, I think most people would agree, has has really grown. Uh, the the groups of people out there have really grown, and people have grown to to have a, a greater appreciation of that. And with that comes better education. So uh, you're going to have a hard time, I think, cracking into that if you just get yourself a guidebook and start walking around in your backyard. I think you'll you'll really. Um, enjoy parts of that but you will understand the challenge of going through that 500 page guidebook pretty quickly so you know I I think that a a great way to start is to find your local organization Uh, here in Charleston it's definitely the the Charleston County Parks or Audubon South Carolina the bend on a Tuesday people are are leading um, you know pro pro guided walks that can really help you with identification and just like anything else, you surround yourself with people who are a little bit better right. than you and hopefully not making you feel like you'll never get there or, you know, how could you mistake that for a, a golden plover or something? You know? If you're lucky, they'll <laughs> take you under their wing, so to speak. Oh, good uh, one. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Very nice. Uh, what kind of equipment do you need? A good set of glasses? Yeah, you know, good good set of or even sort of a, a medium range set of, right. of binoculars and a basic guidebook that, that covers your territory. Um, as with anything else, there's great resources online. Uh, now Cornell University manages a, uh, an international birding uh, information and database uh, called ebird.org. 
and uh, any birder in the world can log on, drop a pin exactly where they are, and share what they saw. Make a report. Yeah. So and it's cool as a, even a non-reporter to go to eBird, and if you're going someplace or living someplace, you can see what's all around you by other people's that's reports. That's right. Before, yeah. before every trip I ever take anywhere now, I go on eBird and look at that location's most recent sightings. See what's popping. You know, and this circles back around to say that birding is really uh, not just an enjoyment of that specific pastime. It's a it's a doorway into, yeah. you know, natural spaces and wilderness settings and to understand the way one animal lives within that system. Uh, the, the more you appreciate that one little piece, the more you'll start to see how everything else around that works and fits and works together and feeds off each other and that type of thing. So I've discovered some, uh, some amazing wilderness spots and parks and green spaces that you otherwise wouldn't have even known, even here in Charleston. Yeah. Um, through that, through that, that website pursuit. and through that pursuit of just cool. looking for a bird, you know? Uh, just looking back on your life and like, you know, either from where you were born, where you grew up, the activities that you did with family or friends, what were the major influences on your life that started directing you down this path to be interested in and connecting to the outdoors? Definitely. Uh, you know, I, I think my dad really starts that off. That's probably a very common answer to right. that, uh, to that question. Um, heading out with mom or dad to go sure. do something. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I was, uh, I was born in Arizona and have pictures before my memory of me in the tent and in the backpack and that <laughs> type of stuff going out. Um, you know, I think my father had a, an incredible relationship with his father, but that was one section of that, that they never connected on. Hmm. And I think my grandfather had a, an, a really strong appreciation of nature and of the outdoors, uh, but didn't participate in the recreation side of that. And, and I won't say he didn't uh, emphasize that with his children, because all of them are uh, incredible outdoor people, every single one of them. So he definitely instilled that in some way. But I think my dad really uh, grew into his fatherhood feeling an appre- a, a need to share that to share with it. his kids and mm-hmm. really make a deliberate approach to get us out there and really get us interested in that type of thing. And he did a great job. All four of us are um, very connected to the outdoors. We all go on these crazy trips and choose to spend our downtime from work doing things that other people will look at you and say, why would you ever spend your vacation time? That doesn't sound like downtime. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Why would you ever spend your vacation time doing that? So I think you said uh, you were born in Arizona on uh, Hopi Reservation? That's right. Is that right? So what was the story behind that? So uh, my dad is a physician and uh, part of his uh, medical school payback program was to enlist in the Indian Health Service. Right. So he was placed on a Hopi Indian reservation um, as their physician. Um, you know, outside of, of sure. the outdoors, that really uh, put an emphasis on our entire family to explore and appreciate other cultures, right. other religions outside of our own, and really just to sort of accept that and even pick and choose things that uh, that that we ourselves within our subset could do a lot better job, do a lot better job with. So he was there for, uh, for several years. I was born there. I have another sister who was born there. 
we, we can you guys of, recollect that time or were you so young it's just sort of like it's baked in you but you can't remember the specific yep. experiences it's it's yeah. definitely a cultural yeah. uh, history that, yeah. is, that is really put in yeah. But, yeah. but we moved to South Carolina I believe when I was three so, yeah. so yeah. very little memory of it other than traveling back and and visiting with those people and and really having some piece of that lore in our family's history yeah. and appreciation for that. So. What's a, what's an outdoor, is there like an outdoor experience or memory that sort of sticks in your brain uh, as much as any other? Totally. From, yeah. I, from your uh, early years? My first backpacking trip was with my dad uh, on the Foothills Trail up in upstate South yeah. Carolina. Yeah. And I, I, right on the border of South Carolina and North Carolina? That's right. Yeah. yeah. It really runs runs the border and runs along Route 11 where all of our really great, some of our greatest state parks in the state of South Carolina and are. And it's pretty remote, isn't it? I mean, yeah, you get out there. And... It's a great, I think it's probably 80 plus yeah. miles, you know, a, a nice little, nice little, nice uh, little day's hike. Line hike, you know, yeah. <laughs> But I, I have this memory of, of listening to the um, in we had a, a blaze orange little pup tent that my dad and I would would share on these trips, and uh, his story was always that I had a little Snoopy backpack that I would carry, <laughs> and it was loaded to the brim with like one canteen. You know? right. So if if the canteen shifted to the right. Little Chet would start kind of listing to the right and walking off trail that way if it if it shifted to the left, that type of thing. So you plowed into school years and college thinking like, all right, I want to go immerse myself into more of this stuff? Uh, a Is little bit was, of both. Yeah. You know, uh, always participating in that stuff. Right. I did scouts all through uh, growing up, did Knowles programs and, and things like that all along the way. Um, I think a defining moment for me... Uh, was the summer before college, the summer after graduating, when most of my friends took regular summer jobs and that type of stuff. I applied to uh, go to Southern Ontario and become a canoe guide Hmm. for an outfitter that I had taken a trip through uh, when I was a kid with my dad. Yeah. And, uh, and, and those are endless waters up there, right? Yeah. The Lakes boun- and boundary waters, yeah, canoe yeah. areas is what it's called. The BWCA, um, 10,000 lakes for Minnesota is a gross underestimation. Wow. There are hundreds of thousands of, of lakes yeah. of all different kinds, uh, from glacial activity that's come through that area. And, um, and these trips were extremely rugged, extremely remote. Um, at that point I was going to Virginia Tech to wrestle, actually. I wrestled all through high school and had been recruited to Virginia Tech. Wrestlers are crazy too, right? I decided that summer that it was nothing (laughs) that I wanted to be involved with anymore. I mean, it was... It's uh, intense stuff. I just had a a complete sort of... um, Maybe you could even call it a reunion with some of my uh, some of my true loves that that had lasted much longer than anything that I was sort of mediocre in in the sports world, and I I came out out of that summer truly a changed person and with my values in a completely different place. Interesting. Still a lot of growing left to do and that type of thing. And what that really did, Robert, was was take me to a place going into college where I wanted to be affiliated with outdoor recreation as a career, not necessarily uh, barrel down the path of of science and and natural science in my academic pursuits as much as to be in that world 
Um, I worked for Outfitters all the way through my my college years. Worked for the college program, Venture Out, hmm. uh, was VT's you know outdoor recreation program as a trip guide and, right. and things like that. And um, even and that, then, and that was always sort of the focus, is sort of the interest in in getting out there and maybe even more helping others get out there. Correct. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, that was really my first job. Uh, not just enjoying it for myself, but but right. really the 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 joy and satisfaction that you can get from even more sharing it with somebody else who maybe hasn't made that, that connection yet. Yeah. I say, I mean, uh, you know, I think probably everyone goes through the cycle. I bet your dad, you know, probably went through that too. It's like the only thing greater than experiencing it and connecting with it yourself is like, is sharing that with someone else. Absolutely. You know? And in the meantime, the, the, the great byproduct of that is that uh, you become more well-versed right. and, and more trained and, and better at understanding yourself. I mean, I think most people agree true mastery of any subject can really come as you're teaching it to somebody else. As you, you share know. it. It's, it's the fastest way to learn. Yeah. yeah. Um, and even then, you know, I was, was very much uh, tempted and certainly not pressured by anybody in my sphere, but just culturally pressured to, to go down the business route, to go down the, the money-making, uh, you know, this is what success is. This is what you're supposed to be doing. graduate or for whatever it is. And that, you know, that I sold timeshares for, <laughs> for a little <laughs> while. That, that definitely didn't work for me. Um, I think the closest I ever got successfully in that sort of commercial world was selling. Uh, I, I worked as a salesperson for an international travel agency that designed outdoor Door. travel trips sure, for, right, right. for groups of kids right. and stuff like that. That's so a little closer to the mark. It was within the field that I worked yeah. in, just on the business side of right, that. And, right. and that was a, a, an ex- a very valuable experience for me because that was really my first... Um, experience working for a company that can be commercially profitable, uh, a valuable and an asset to, right. to other people. It's still in the, the field of uh, personal development and, right. and that type of thing. And I, I did that for a few years and then made my way down to, to Charleston from there. Yeah. Well, and it's a sort of those sorts of accumulated experiences, I mean, into being then becoming <clears throat> a, a naturalist and running programs at Charleston County Parks, Right. right. All that is sort of this journey that leads you to where you are today and what you're doing with the bend, which is sure. sort of fascinating. Sure. And that whole sort of perspective on it to me is is like, is it, you know, at some point did you, it sounds like you sort of did at some point set out to say like, I'd like to explore and pursue a career in the outdoors. So to yeah, say. to a but, certain degree. I think for me, it's always been a little closer to, um, to personal and human development and education. Right. Um, my niche and, and what I'm good at within that realm has been through outdoor and kind of experiential education and, and learning. Um, but, but to me, I think that's important on a larger scale when you're sort of sifting through all the things that you want to be in, in the universe to not say this is the, this is the job that I'm good at, or this is the field that I'm excel in. You know, I think it's more important to say, uh, this is something that, that brings me fulfillment. And this is something that I have skill in. 
and then explore within that bubble all of the different um, career opportunities right. and paths that you can take, educational opportunities and, and job opportunities that come from that. So my field really started in the sort of outdoor education bubble. Um, and, and then within that, it took sometimes I was working for a, a commercial interest that was selling trips. Sometimes I was guiding those trips. Right. Right. Sometimes I was planning and designing those trips myself, and it took all of these different forms. Um, but that's certainly circling back to the bend, what brought me to that job. Because when I heard Susan's vision for that property, to me, the one thing that could sort of bridge the gap between uh, just a property development project right. that's a run-of-the-mill, you've seen it once, you've seen it a hundred times, and the community building uh, sort of end goal that we really are striving for, the connecting piece is connecting to the people, you yeah, know, yeah, and yeah. finding ways to share the value of that that's not quite all the way on one side, not quite all the way on the other side, but that middle ground. Middle ground or that intersection. To say that, that there's value on both of those and, and find that, that Very cool. sweet spot. Yeah. I've heard it said more than once before is like the secret to sort of success or maybe even happiness is finding something that you're both good at but that you also love, sure. right? And it's that sure. meeting point. And it's a really hard thing for people to do and find. And yeah. and uh, it could happen quickly or it could take a life's work to finally try to get there. Yeah. Um, and I, I know that for me in the, the 10 years that I spent uh, working for the Charleston County Parks and specifically at Kawkaw, um, I would talk about something or tell a story that I had told 5,000 times before and I would feel like I was on autopilot because mm -hmm. it's just you're just going through the same thing. You've you literally know that that tree you're going to stop with the group and talk about this one thing. And to hear people come up to me after that autopilot moment and say, you know, your excitement about this thing is, is palpable. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's something that you can feel and it's contagious and nice. that type of thing. And, uh, and that, that happens every single time still to this day. I've, I'm 15 years into this field in all these different ways. And when I talk about the things that I really enjoy doing and love sharing with other people, it's like the very first time that I've done it every single time. You know? And I feel lucky in, in my jobs and in my career path that I still feel that way. And, um, you know, you certainly hope that, that other people in, in their jobs and careers for themselves feel that way. But any type of service uh, position from doctors to lawyers to politicians, that type of thing, you don't want to know that they're dialing it in and, right. and right. just sort of on autopilot. Right. You want them to be fascinated and excited and, and eager to learn and share. Uh, Kaka is, I think, one of the coolest places in all of Charleston area. Absolutely. It's maybe my favorite yeah. to get out. for It's relatively close, and when you get out there, you're just, just totally disconnected in a wonderful Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Connected and disconnected at the same yeah. time. Um, just uh, one quick question on that. From your observation of all those years being out there, um, as a naturalist, as an educator and all that, are we seeing less and less people interact with those sorts of spaces? Are we seeing like different patterns or trends generationally? Are, are enough kids getting out there? Do you, yeah. do you see this as a sort of a, 
a positive thing happening right now or something that we need to be asking ourselves? How do we get more people connected? Yeah. And I think this is a, uh, you know, I think in, in our society today on many different fronts, you find a disconnect between the, uh, the perceived problem or deficiency or lack of, and the boots on the ground people that are experiencing it every day. And, uh, you know, through my time there, I experienced a tremendous increase in people that were interested in going out and hearing that story and and sharing that space, kids and and school groups that would come out there. Uh, You know, I think that a lot of people in the field of natural resource management or parks, parks management, things like that will tell you some of the best and and most efficiently run and managed green spaces are in these tremendous urban areas mm. yeah. because they become more valuable than you could ever imagine when there's 10 million people living around Central Park. All yeah. of a sudden, Central Park becomes a very critical uh, piece of that puzzle and people appreciate it more. So as we've seen Charleston grow and develop and sort of march out toward Ravenel, where uh, Kalkaw Interpretive Center is. There's neighborhoods probably bordering Kalkaw now, That's right. right. Yeah, it you used know, to be out in the middle of nowhere, and, that, and it's, it's not the case anymore. It's no longer just another piece of, of marsh or swamp that's kind of right. out that way. Um, it becomes something that people start to value more and, hmm, and, and that type of thing. Yeah. So we, we really saw an increase in visitation, and, and with that becomes the need for an increase in education and appreciation because uh, Kaukau is, is just as much a historic site that shares the, the story, good Cultural and history. bad, of Charleston um, within the realm of a, a beautiful, pristine sort of natural setting now. So, um, what are the what are your go to outdoor activities? What does that look like to you? Gosh, uh, locally, you know, I love. I've always been uh, a waterman. I, I want to be on the water, near the water, in the water, however I can. So, just about every sport locally that's connected to that. Uh, circling kind of back to birding, I did go through a phase where I would go and try to do dedicated uh, birding trips and things like that. I still do a, a good bit of that. Um, but I've now found that there's a blend that you can go out and do the other stuff you like and, and still be able to kind of have that pastime in your back pocket. So you could have a session in the waves <clears throat> in the morning and then, and then cover some birding. That's exactly the rest right. Of the day. Or a bird, bird from your board. That's right. right. Exactly. Yeah. A twofer. What, uh, what do you think are some of the, the we talked about call call. What are some of the jewel spots around here? You know, I think we're really lucky that, uh, and, and unique as a, a city that the natural resources is truly all around us and running kind of through our city, not just sort of drive outside of the city in any direction and get to the outdoors. The outdoors are all through our community. And uh, I've, I've had, ever since I was a child, a real connection to the salt marsh and the tidal waterway systems of, uh, of the low country. You know, this city, uh, I grew up with relatives in the city coming down every single year, and this area was the first place I can remember as a kid saying, I'm going to live there one day. Mm. You know, that's going to be my spot one day. And it took me, you know, till I was probably 22 to get there. But um, that, that's really the gem of Charleston. You can walk out of the back of just about any neighborhood Uh, of any income level, that type of thing, and find your way to the water, find your way to the salt marshes. 
Um, we're very blessed and, and lucky in South Carolina that all of those waterways are public waterways. All of our beaches are public, uh, at least public there, and, and almost all of them have pub- public access to yeah. the beach. So uh, you really have the opportunity in Charleston to, to get out there and to do it very easily without having to drive uh, you know, a great distance out of the city to, to access it. Yeah, so. It feels like I've heard some people say, I mean, this place <clears throat> is 80% what happens on the water. That's so right. to know this place, you have to get out there. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Well, um, what's on your horizon? Like what's the next cool uh, trip or what's the next cool project you're working on? Um, what are you, what are you excited about and what's making you itch? In, uh, I'm always itchy all the time <laughs> and I, I hope to be like itchy to get out and go somewhere when I'm an 85 year old on a walker, you know, I want I somebody to put me on a cart and just take me out there. You can leave, you can leave me there if you, if you need, but, uh, I've got that in writing. Yep. Yep. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, project wise, uh, in my professional realm, um, I, I really feel in a lot of ways that we're just starting to scratch the surface, uh, at the bend and what that property can kind of mature to be. Um, I'm lucky in the fact that what that property needs most now is just to be, and, and it's been amazing to watch a lot of the natural features of that, uh, space, rebound and rehabilitate um, literally by doing nothing you know sometimes not doing anything is the best remedy to help a situation like that out Um, but now becomes a time where we've really uh, worked hard to identify uh, the real features of that site that make it uh, naturally valuable um, valuable to to plants and animals that have lived there for forever and, uh, and really try to do conscious projects to enhance that and make it a viable space um, and to carefully choose those areas that could be incorporated into any future that that site may hold, construction or commercially or something like that. So some of the projects we're working on are um, <clears throat> we're uh, in the process of, of rehabbing the two stormwater ponds that are on the property um, that started as trash ponds that we pulled cars and motorcycles and DVD players and bowling balls out of and and now are really looking at as valuable freshwater space where we see ducks and nesting animals and fish and the occasional alligator and things like that uh, to the tidal salt marsh edges that that run around... uh, about 50% of the property is bordered by, by tidal salt marsh. Um, we're building an osprey platform on the, the, a nesting platform on the site that I think will be a really nice draw. Those are the type of things that uh, I've described as kind of putting the value ahead of the future direction of the site to sort of say, these are things that, that we want to lift up and we want to highlight moving forward. If you want to play here, if you want to develop here, if you want to do business here, you need to buy into that sort of communal value that we're, that we're setting. And that you know really starts with, with rehabbing the site, creating it uh, as a habitat and as a, a thriving natural space that is connected to the local community um, and then, it, it, you know, on the tail end of that becomes a place that can be 
commercially successful and vibrant and, and a thriving um, asset to, I love the, it. to the larger community. Sort of set the stage and set the bar for then people to come and be part of. Sure. Yeah. Like and, it. you know, if if that works and, and if that is a successful venture, um, you know, it's certainly not a reinvention of the wheel by, by any means, but we do feel that that could serve as a model for people uh, who envision alternative uses for their land um, but aren't ready to put their land into 100% natural easement or conservation easement um, but still want to do the right thing and and be a part of the place that they love for all the reasons why they love it you know in my uh, in my personal life you know I'm, I'm always trying to go you know so I have a few trips on the horizon I'm actually going back to the foothills trail at the end of May with my dad. Nice. 30 years later, nice. uh, we're hiking the Bartram Trail from Highlands down to Oconee State Park, um, which will be a really fun five-day uh, backpacking trip. And uh, in September, I'm taking off for Scotland and Ireland, which will be a, a really fun trip. Uh, I've, I've promised my lady that it is not a surf trip, but you know, I'm, I might be doing a little bit of, of planning, in but the it might be a surf trip, on that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, do doing the Scottish Highlands, which is, is my family's background and, and doing coastal Ireland, which is her family's background and really trying to do equal parts, you know, tracing roots and playing outside and food and, and culture and Very kind nice. of all the above. God, yeah. Sounds like a good trip. Yeah. Well, Chet, thank you again for for kicking off way out there. Love it. Pretty yeah. bold of you to trust us that way, but uh, <laughs> it was it's awesome. And I could just say that um, for those of us that know you, get to work with you, get to hang out with you, it's really cool what you and Susan are doing at the Bend. Yeah. And you're an inspiration to everybody, and it seems like you are uh, well suited and made for a career in the outdoors, a life in the outdoors, and especially sharing that with others. That's great. So, appreciate and it. Right back at you and your team. Thank it's, you, man. Uh, it's, it's very nice to connect, uh, and rare, I think, to connect with, with people that you're working with professionally who seem uh, so in line with, with, uh, with what you're saying. So we, awesome. we commonly get odd looks and head scratches and things like that when we're describing our dream, but I've never had that from any of you all, so thank you for that. Sounds pretty regular <laughs> and awesome to us. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, man. Great. Chet Morris is Site Director for The Bend in Charleston, South Carolina. You can learn more at thebendcharleston.com. Thank you for listening to Way Out There and stay tuned for more discussions about the relationship between people and the outdoors.